everyone. Welcome on into One Nation. Andy Petrillo, Jordan Wilson. It is officially summertime. I mean, the weather's been fantastic, my friend. I am feeling the vibes. Okay. I am getting set to go watch a Canadian Championship final. Who's going to hoist the Voyagers Cup, CF Montreal or Vancouver Whitecaps, before we get into the nitty-gritty with those two? Is there a final in any sport that you've watched that is your all-time favorite. I want to know if you can read my mind. Don't think too deep about it. Just think about a final that we both experienced together. If that is the best one ever. And it, it's a resounding yes. But just think quickly. Three, two, one. I still look on my face. What final did we watch together? This World Cup. Oh, okay. We didn't watch it together, but we talked about it. Is this it. your all-time favorite final? A hundred percent. Oh, you know what's funny? I, my, I have a World Cup as well okay. as my you favorite. You want to go first? But it's not this year. Okay, you go first. Why don't you take a guess? If you don't guess which one is my favorite World Cup final. I'm nervous, but I know it's when it's Italia. <laughs> yes, baby. 2006. You know I mean, besides the fact that Italy won, which is absolutely incredible. Shout out to everyone in 2006 who was on the streets of St. Clair. Everybody. Were you there? Of course I was. People were- You're like, dancing on people cars? People were on the streets. People were on top of bus stops. People were on top of buildings, hanging outside. Of it. it was like the absolute all-time best. And St. Clair, I don't even know if it's majority Italian people who live there anymore, but it doesn't matter. Whenever- Italy wins in any type of soccer environment, World Cup, Euros, people always still go to St. Yeah. Clair. I think Marketplace in like Woodbridge is maybe one of the you know recent ones to have emerged, but St. Clair is the OG. Everyone was there for the Euros as well. Yes, and I, but 2006 was also just fantastic because of the drama. I mean, we all knew it was Zinedine Zidane's last World Cup. He goes out, the headbutt, doesn't even get to finish the game, goes to PKs. So it was brilliant because of all the drama surrounding it. And then Italy walking away. One of my first questions I ever asked you, I said, who is your favorite Italian player? Outside of Buffon, because I know you're a goalkeeper, hugger, lover. Mm. But who is your, like, ultimate, the guy, if you met, you would be, like, fangirling? Maldini. Paolo Maldini. No doubt. What a player. Handsome man. Mm. Like, he just has it all. Yeah. I mean, you know what? And this is, like, as a little kid, I remember watching Italy. What drew me to him, because you're a little, I don't know. I didn't understand soccer tactics, whatever. I just, I liked watching the sport. My family watched it, but I, it was the curly cues. <laughs> I just saw this guy running up and down the pitch with curly, curly hair. And I was like, Dada, that's my favorite player. I, I love think, him. And number three. Yeah, I think, oh, so maybe this is where it started. The See double three. Yeah. I love with Maldini, his timing with tackles, man. Mm. I know for me, I've rushed them throughout my career. Sometimes gotten yellow cards, but he was sound. Really good player. So back to the finals. Yeah, Sorry. so that's mine. And yeah. you loved this year then. You this loved the year, Argentina, France. Oh, it was great. But just that game, that was the most exciting match of football. It started rocky for France. Messi, Mbappe, just pop, pop, pop. But then bop. going to PKs and then yeah. the goals happen at the end, the save that Martinez makes at the end of the game, France could go up 4-3. Like, it was crazy. And then 4-2 and pens. Martinez again... Uh, just, just come in clutch, but what a game. It was a great game. So no pressure, Vancouver and Montreal, because yeah. we want to see <laughs> an incredible Canadian championship final. That's basically what we want to see. Um, what, okay, before we get into maybe some picks here of, of champion, uh, MVP, and best young player, let's talk about significance of you know winning the trophy. What do you think it would mean for Vancouver? This is back-to-back -back if they do it, right? And this is, then you know you've had a successful year. Well, it's, it's the same case for either team, right? This is something you can say you're the big dog. You're, you're the king of the hill. You're the, you're the top dog in some respect. 
So it's huge for Vancouver, and also just to do it back to back, because I think only TFC has done it back to back. I gotta go. TFC in Montreal. They've done it back to back. Yeah, we gotta go to TFC for sure. For sure. But you're gonna be looking. But um, yeah, you look at this Vancouver team. They're getting better, but winning a championship is something you have to your season, and that. That's what you can build off of. Playing good football, I even see it right now with Arsenal. It sucks. I see wheels all the time with United. Ah. He's like, oh, well, they have a, they have some silverware. You got to get some silverware. So, yeah, this yeah. is huge for Vancouver. Montreal 2013-2014. So they did go back to Look back. Look at that. Uh, I, do, I think it's big for Vancouver because it was, I mean, it was big last year. They hadn't won a trophy since 2015. Mm. Of, of any significance, right? So from 2015, you know, they have to wait until 2022. So that was a really big deal. All the storylines involved, and we know the one about Vanny Sartini, constant questioning of him being the right coach, even brought that up again uh, during the semifinal. And the fact that he's able to get his team to do what they're doing in MLS. They look like, at least right now, anything can change, but they look to be the most legitimate Canadian contender in MLS to make the playoffs over CF Montreal and, and Toronto FC. Uh, but I also find, and having covered sports for many, 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 many years. <laughs> I know that the West Coast oftentimes feels left out. Yeah, They feel like, well, first of all, they feel the teams that get focused on the most are Toronto-based, you know, Ontario-based. truth to that. And, you know, there, yeah, I guess there's truth to that when you're talking about a bigger market and bigger storylines and oftentimes bigger players, right? Bigger name players. So I think sometimes they just feel like they're left out of the yeah. conversation or don't get the attention. So to have won it last year, to be able to go back to back, I do think is huge for Vancouver. Having said that, what do you think the significance would be for Montreal to win? This is their silver lining of a rebuild year. Look, we talked about them earlier uh, in this season, or about, about a month ago, and we're like, yeah, this team, they got rid of a few players and they didn't replace them. But going out and winning a chip, a championship, mm -hmm. also away against, a, I would say, a better Vancouver side, huge for them. Huge. Just a step in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it would be massive for Montreal, too, because the last few years, by the way, also has been a little bit of up and down. Uh, the fan base hasn't been happy with Good how point. they've been treated. The change of, I mean, I know I'm going into history, but the change of name. They didn't even get a certain kit right that they wanted to launch with this year. At, you know, at one point, supporter section was closed off. There were there are repairs yeah. that need to be made, even between the organization, the fan base, the changing of coaches, Thierry Henry, and then Wilfred Nancy, and then the amount of players who have left Montreal was in the dust. Mm -hmm. Nobody gave them any hope, right? It's like, who did you lose? You lost Alison Johnson, you lost Ismail Kone, then you traded away Kamal. Like, who do you have? Yeah. And, you know, for them to be able to pull off any kind of win that'll give them a trophy, I think is the, the double bird to a lot of people, right? Okay, let's have a little bit of fun here because we have a really special guest. We're going to have some serious talk here. We have a really special guest who's going to be joining us on One Nation in just a few moments. But I want to know who you think is actually going to win. Give me a prediction. I think Whitecaps. At home. Me too. Yeah, at home. I just think they're a, a well-polished side. I know people doubted Vanny Sartini. You already alluded to that. But I think he has them all rowing in the right direction. But it's a finals, and that's what I love because anything can happen in the final. And it's one game. I know the whole Can Champs has been one game, yes. But one game, anything can happen. It's just who's sharper on the day. But I, I put money on Vancouver. I put, I had any. Yeah, I, I'd be picking Vancouver because, yes, they can score, but I think they're just defensively more sound. You're all about the defense. Protect the goalie. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is it? Defense wins the games, but offense gets the glory. It's the oldest saying, but it's so true. 
right? Doesn't like matter it. if you score five goals, but you let in six. Last I checked, uh, you still lose the game. True. So I, that's why it's 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 the defense that is. I'm giving Vancouver the edge on that. Okay. George Gross Memorial Trophy. That's the MVP. Gressel. Me too. Really. You you copy me again, you little cheat. <laughs> I, look, after he hit that that first timer against Pacific for the first goal in the past Can Champ semifinals, he he's just been playing solid, man. He's that guy that could just do some bits. And I'm also just putting I like putting money on not the big dog, the guy that's maybe third or fourth, the one that mm. the one that's forgotten a bit. Yeah. I do like I'm I'm a big Gressel fan too. So I I feel like if he can do what he's done, I mean he's scored now at the quarterfinal stage, the semifinal stage. If he can do it in the final. What? Best young Canadian player. You want to go first or you want me to go first? No, you go first. I'm going to go with Sean Ray. Me too. Okay, no, no I'm, I'm changing kidding, my I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm okay, kidding. okay. I was about to change it right now on the spot. I promise you. I'm like, yo, I'm not doing this again. <laughs> or better. Yeah. But no, I think Sean Ray. See, I was getting, you know what? Those two have done really well, but if I'm going to stay on the Vancouver bandwagon, maybe I go Betcher. Okay. Schwanier has to get a mention too if they win. He's been great. I'm all over the shop. Wheels would probably hate me for not choosing, but. I'm the worst Sh at picking these things. Schwanier, he's been balling, man. Don't ever ask me to do this. Um, but here we go, everyone. The Canadian Championship Final for 2023 is going to be right here on One Soccer, 10 p.m. Eastern Time. We have you covered. Who will it be? CF Montreal? Or Vancouver Whitecaps. Now we'd like to welcome a very special guest here to One Nation. As you know, there's been a lot of talk, and rightfully so, of safe sport. And she's somebody who has dedicated her life to safe sport, helping athletes, helping coaches, helping officials. She's a two-time Olympian, and six months ago, she was brought on board by Canada Soccer to help them come up with safe sport policies, but more importantly, to implement those policies. How can they do that? So let's talk a little bit more about it with Alison Forsyth. Uh, you were an alpine skier. I want to make sure you know people know uh, just how great you were at your craft and now how you're dedicating your life to helping athletes feel safe to be able to dedicate themselves to their craft as well. So thank you so much for joining us here on One Nation. How did we get to this point here? Because I know that there are a lot of athletes, not just with soccer, but we're talking hockey, gymnastics, bobsleigh skeleton Canada. We know this across the country where a lot of athletes, there seems to be a reckoning now where they have found their voice. How do you think we got to this point? You know, there's a few ways we got here, but I think the first thing that's important is that sport has always been full of maltreatment and abuse. This isn't about a Canadian thing, this is about a world thing in sport and how sport is operated. Um, and we recognize, I think the biggest thing we recognize now is what trauma is. I know that sounds a bit extreme to start with, but um, maltreatment in sport just wasn't recognized. Um, much like we didn't recognize concussions 30 years ago, right? So we now know what maltreatment and the effects of it are on athletes and coaches and officials. You'll always hear from me, I have respect for everyone in sport. Um, and when it comes to athletes, to be frank, I mean, I came out with my abuse publicly in 2018 and started working in this space as an advocate for athletes. Um, and I think that, you know, the trail has been blazed and the door has been opened where they're feeling more confident um, and clear on what is right and wrong the way they've been coached or treating each other sometimes. And so they're willing to come forward and, and, and speak about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's so important too, because, you know, when you, when you shared your story, of sexual assault, it, that, that's part of it, but there is so much more when you, when you speak of maltreatment mm -hmm. and trauma. With Canada Soccer in particular, what is it that they wanted to bring you on board to help them with? You know, it's what I appreciate the most about Canada Soccer is in what I think every organization in this country needs to do right now is show vulnerability. 
Mm-hmm. So there, we are all trying to figure this out at the same time. And it's the organizations that get stuck and go, no, this is just enter that blank sport, hmm. or this is just what it's like here. There's no such thing as a sport that's immune to this. And so what Canada Soccer did was brought us on board to, yes, help um, you know from a back-end perspective, make sure the right policies and everything are in place. But more importantly, and what I said is my condition to come, um, is that I was like, you know, safe sport has not focused enough on our children. Hmm. point blank. And the government's not going to do that. So Canada Soccer is committed and we are working with our clubs and our districts and our provinces. It's not a a high performance only approach. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, it'll take time, but I mean, I love spending my time with the clubs, with the EDs, with the presidents to really figure out how do we keep all participants safe? And it is very complex. So a quick question for you, Allison. How do you assess whether or not they're committed how do I assess whether they're committed? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So how I assess... Oh, great question. Um, how I assess whether they're committed, first and foremost, is that they don't just walk, talk the talk, but walk the walk. I have complete freedom to share with the leaders at Canada Soccer what I think needs to be done. I have had not one point of pushback of that's not us or we, we, we have to be careful here. There's been not one conversation about reputational damage since the day that I walked through that door. Every leader, everyone I've worked with has been, yes, help us. We need to do better. Um, and that's been the approach from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, are you focusing on all levels? Obviously, as we know, Canada Soccer has your national teams all the way down to youth levels, all the way down to recreation. I mean, Canada Soccer governs uh, just about every part of soccer in this country. So what is it specifically that maybe you've been told to, to concentrate on? And is there any kind of information you can give us on what you're actually working on? Like, what is a policy? Yeah. Absolutely. So no, nothing specific was told to be worked on because we are the experts. So we sort of come in and say, we do an assessment of the environment, the structure, behaviors that we've seen. We take in you know, statistics around referee abuse that I shared earlier. And we go, okay, this is what you need. This is what, and then it's been, like I mentioned, carte blanche to put in place what we need to put in place. So um, as far as policies go, the reality is there's one central policy called the Universal Code of Conduct for maltreatment in sport. Everyone should know it. It covers off eight forms of maltreatment. Um, so we'll be implementing a safe sport policy suite at every province and territory that will be exactly the same as Canada Soccer's at the top level. So what's important for everyone to understand is systemic alignment. It's a big fancy word to make sure everyone's operating under the same policy so we can prevent, as an example, any perpetrator of abuse from moving around the system. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's talk about that. We can talk about that for an hour. The other really interesting thing is every province and territory will be required within the next six months to use independent complaint management. So that is critical. Now, I don't want anyone to sit here and think that we think that all these organizations are covering up abuse. The reality is why you really need independent complaint management is because you're not an expert. You didn't sign up to make a decision whether or not someone did something really bad. Um, And it ensures due process for both a complainant and a respondent in the process. So with that, the outcome will be a public registry. Yes. So on CanadaSoccer.com, there will be a public registry of sanctioned offenders because we can guarantee due process. So that is what everyone's asking for. And I also know the government is working on this for all sports, but we're going to work on it specifically with soccer to make sure it happens. Yeah. On that note, I know the uh, Minister of Sport, Pascal St. Ange, had recently talked about putting names out, like anyone who has been released, right, from uh, their job because of maltreatment, toxic culture, inappropriate relationships, like all this type of stuff with athletes. They want to be able to publish their name. So if you're looking to hire somebody, now this mostly deals with coaches, obviously, right? Um, But because you're dealing in this wide spectrum Mm -hmm. where it's not just, you know, coaches who have the ability to abuse athletes. Athletes can abuse athletes. And by the way, athletes' parents can abuse 
referees. Absolutely. So it just, I mean, this is pretty widespread in what you're taking on to try and fix. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of, I don't want to use the word myths, but misconceptions out there. I mean, the top two forms of abuse that we actually see are peer-to-peer in the form of bullying and hazing. Mm. And so a lot of narrative around safe sport right now is based more on predatorial abuse, where someone comes into your organization intending to do harm. That's what happened to me. That's what we see a lot in the media. It's horrible. It's very rare. And I'm not downplaying the extreme nature of it. Cultural normalization of abuse is over 95% of what we see. That's where we have ingrained behaviors that we were raised with. The way I was coached, I mean, if I coached the way I was coached, I'd, you know, I'd have athletes running in front of a van 10 kilometers in the middle of the night, right? Like, there's things that happen when we were growing up, and I don't want to let, I'm not letting anyone off the hook that does this type of maltreatment, but it really makes me frustrated when people think education isn't the answer. Because when you have coaches out there running suicides, and I apologize for even the offensive word of suicide on the That's show. That's I was raised to call it that. Yeah. 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 So yeah, no, let's, we could just talk about that. That is exercise as a form of punishment. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's, it's maltreatment. If you have an athlete that, you know, passes out or, or vomits or has psychological or phys- that is maltreatment. Whereas it's completely ingrained in many sports that I'm sure we've all experienced. So Allison, with you mentioned education being key, obviously to educate coaches and and everyone uh, with safe sport. But how do you, I guess, how do you manage that with also the time aspect? Because this is something where for years there's been maltreatment, but you want to move in the right direction quickly. How do you manage educating, doing a thorough job, but then also moving at a good pace or like- Well, because everyone wants to see everything. Yeah, you want to see change, right? And it's not something where you just snap your fingers and and everything's better. But how do you feel about that? I just want to feel about the time and education. Yeah, so that's my biggest frustration because it's, and I'm not saying this because it's me, I'm saying it it is me right now, going around and doing the type of education I think we need, which is the room full of soccer coaches. Let's have a conversation, challenge me, push back. Why do you want to run suicides? Why do you think yelling at kids is okay? Do you have to- like shift the behavior. But the key thing here is that we think we're going to solve this as a country, which is where we've fallen flat over the last 10 years by some 45 minute online training program. And I don't want to make us wrong for that, but we need to understand this is what happens when we do online training. It's human nature to not pay attention. And I'm telling you, first of all, you need to pay attention. But second of all, it's not going to be enough. We're not going to solve this problem with a 45 minute training. So there's no magic answer, except everyone has to commit to change and recognize that any single person, including kids, You know, sometimes I hear people say, well, he's the bully and my kid's not. Bullying is a set of behaviors that happen under certain circumstances. Bullying, not labeling a kid a bully. So everybody has to shift our language and our behaviors. You mentioned earlier about referees and officials. Mm. What is the the focus with that? I, I did a little smirk just because now that I've retired, I've said some things to referee. I never bullied a referee, but I, I've definitely thrown my hands up and done a lot and kind of teetered with the line. But what is that with officials in terms of uh, moving forward? But maybe even more so at the at the youth level too, yes. because a lot of these referees, what are they, 15, 16? Mm-hmm. And I mean, people, yeah. people just see a referee and they're not a human anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So here's what's happening, and it's across many sports, including soccer, is we are losing referees by the thousands because they do, they've now recognized that they are traumatized, that they've been maltreated, they don't have to put up with this, and they're leaving. At first, when we did these studies, I thought, well, it's just sort of the old guard leaving and, and the kids weren't, you know, I even thought, like, tough enough to handle it. You know yeah. that? Mm. No. The older gentlemen or women or, that are refereeing, they're like, I don't want to do this anymore. And then here's what's happening, is we're not training these kids long enough because we have to get them out on the field. So of course they're going to go out on the field and not be the perfect ref 
And then the coaches jump, the parents jump, the athletes jump on them. Um, so the biggest thing there is how do we show our passion for sport in a different way? But as you mentioned, Jordan, it's, it's completely ingrained in us to not look at the referee as human. Yeah. Um, so we're trying some new things. You know, in, in some sports, we have the refs going up and introducing themselves to the coaches and telling them something about their personal life. And at first, the refs and coaches are like, oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. But I'm telling you, you find out that you have a sweet little 10-month-old boy. Here's a picture of him. My name's Jordan. I'm your ref today. You, he will be treated differently. It's true. Isn't that interesting? No, like it just is. That simple, sim, simple mm. human interaction. Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely believe that. Right? Isn't that what they say? If you've been, if you've been kidnapped, you got to tell my. Here's my name, and I have <laughs> I'm, children. I'm and yelling I, that quick. Right? <laughs> <laughs> if that ever happens. Yeah, sure. you do. No, and but, I mean, yeah. but it's so sad that it even. Yeah, I mean, I, and I'm so happy that we're talking about it. You recognize it, and then there's things like that that are being done mm -hmm. because we've seen it. We've all seen it throughout our lives, and sometimes I just feel helpless because my reaction is to yell at the parent who's yelling at the ref. Right. But where is the real change starting right. to happen? Like, where's the root of it? And now you've kind of alluded to um, creating these policies that do go across the board mm -hmm. in Canada, to your point, making sure if someone has been dismissed for wrongdoing, they don't then land a job elsewhere. And as you know, the highest profiled case in Canada soccer, of course, is Bob Barada. That was also recently brought up at the Heritage Committee hearings. Is that part of preventing that, like what you're talking about? Because how do we make sure that doesn't happen again? Yeah, absolutely. So also in my case, which was a predatorial case as well, there was missteps that my organization made that were massive. They covered up my abuse. I think the big thing that we think about, this is funny, we think about doing background checks and safeguarding hiring measures and we'll get stuck being like, well, we do background checks. You're not going to catch someone mm. doing a background check. You do a background check because you hope that someone with a criminal record then won't apply for the job. See the, the difference yeah. there? But the big thing I want to share about that not happening again is that we have to do everything we can from keeping these people out. And sport has been a place where they have known that they can come into because we haven't done that well in the past, like schools and churches started to do. And the reality is it's, it's very strange to acknowledge, but when a predator comes into an organization, a sport organization, athletes are super vulnerable to abuse. And I used to think, well, I'm not weak. Why would I be vulnerable? Mm -hmm. But we're incredibly vulnerable because that person controls our future much like we see with workplace harassment, right? They control our goals, our dreams. It is very easy for us to even, I'll, I'll admit, like if it's, a, fem if it's um, a gender, you know, like a female to male thing for me, being heterosexual, it's like we would have a crush on our coach. It's quite common, right? And then we get coaches who are not that much older than their athletes. So the reality is that professional boundary has to be set and there has to be a ton of oversight and acknowledgement of how these coaches have to behave, how they're allowed to communicate and what is a boundary transgression, what is grooming, all of this must be educated on. The first thing I think of though too, dollars and cents, like does this cost a lot to implement it sometimes, especially at the youth level, a lot of these coaches too are, are volunteers. Does this cost a lot of money or is this more about time and education and effort? Okay, so time, education and effort. I know people get stuck and I appreciate it, but Allison, we can't even get people to coach. Hmm. I'm sorry, but if you can't find someone that wants to come out and coach a kid that won't go through a 45 minute training, they, you shouldn't actually have an organization, I'm sorry, but combine with someone else because there is zero tolerance for not keeping your participants safe. But when it comes to time effort, I am telling you, if you just say, as an organization, if you say we are enter blank football club, we believe in safe sport, we have a safe sport on our webpage, we have zero tolerance for any sort of abuse here, that goes an exponential amount down the field mm -hmm. just by being proactively communicating and educating. Guess what, parents? We have a night. It's called come in and we're going to tell you why. You're going to set boundaries with your coach. You're not going to yell at refs. Like you have to take the time and energy, but it doesn't have to cost the money. Mm -hmm. I, I quickly want to go to uh, a place of, I'm, I was born in 1991. 
And so I'm kind of in between of the old guard, I guess, that where coaches were yelling and kind of motivated you that way. You were talking about running in front of a van. Uh, <laughs> and I have similar stories as well. We all have. That was kind of like the culture. Mm -hmm. But nowadays, uh, it's maybe can thread the line of being toxic or abusive. I just kind of want to have a conversation with you personally about it. Sorry, Charles, because I'm like taking the time and being like, hey, this is this is my moment. But how do you, how do you, like, how do we not blur those lines? Like, how do you keep it, hey, this is motivating athletes and this is, this is where you're taking it too far? Because I feel like how I was raised, there are probably things that were taken too far, but we just kind of, yeah. yeah and what about that, it. like that type of initiation where if you're the rookie and you kick a ball and you miss yeah, the net, there's so many things the I rookie's got to go fetch the ball. The guys, rookie's got to fill the water bottles. Guys used to take the ball. Some like people this still and, and like that. It's a microaggression to hazing. So that's okay. the thing. Okay. Progression of harm. So hazing is any like a rookie or whatever initiation that makes people feel they have to do something or coerced or forced psychologically to do something to fit in. Now, just anecdotally, over 80% of Div 1 athletes, NCAA, have said they've experienced egregious hazing. Mm -hmm. In that case, what you just shared with me, that's what we would call a microaggression towards more egregious hazing. But we've done a lot of work to shut down. Our job is to shut down any condition that could lead to more egregious maltreatment. But to your point, so you're a millennial then, right? Or are you a Gen Z? I'm a Gen Z. Okay, here we go. Z. Okay. Because I'm Canadian. Yes, you are Zed. I'm okay. Gen X. Okay, so, so here's the thing. is 95% of you, and remember, I'm not talking about you, but 95% of you don't even respond to negative reinforcement. Wow. You are a positive reinforcement generation. So I do a lot of work with coaches on the fact that if they're coaching from that negative reinforcement place of only telling a child what they're doing is wrong, bad, and they think that's what's going to make them improve, the child doesn't improve that way. Yeah. Right? You can still do assertive coaching based on like a foundational agreement of what you're working on, but we are dealing with a different generation of athlete and where coaches get themselves in trouble is when they say, well, I'm just old school. It's mm -hmm. my way or the highway. And if my, these kids don't like the way I coach, they can go somewhere else. Now, I'm not one that always walk into a room and try to shift everyone's beliefs, but I am one that can walk into a room and say, if you keep going this way, you're about to get in trouble because yep. there's a new policy that doesn't allow you to do that. Now, the last thing I'll say is that we have a sports system, I would say worldwide, that is going to start to crumble. And Canada is actually one of the world's leaders in safe sport mm. because other countries haven't even started to open up the curtain to what is happening. The reality is we've always thought sport, like we used to think the military, we have to toughen them up. We have to beat them down, and that's how we're going to get the champions to rise to the top. The reality is we have to shift our belief system that for every, you know, um, from a hockey perspective as an example, to shift sports, for every Conor McDavid we put on the ice, we lost 10,000 potentials because they bailed out based on the way they were treated mm. and how much fun they were not having. So we have to flip the script, and that starts with belief. But right now, I do believe that the, the normal sort of belief out there is, well, if we're really, if we're nice and kind and respectful to the athletes, they're going to be wimpy and we're not going to win. Hmm. Yeah. And that's what we have to shift because that has not been proven. And in fact, I've, you know, firsthand experienced, obviously, with the work I do, that I've had athletes that, you know, have had the person that was um, hurting them removed from the environment and they do way better immediately. So we seem to think that we have this, you know, we have to keep this toxicity going and that's how we, we win. But it's yeah. actually the opposite. Yeah. So what do you say then to, to people who want to, and we've, we've heard this phrase many times, right? It's the burn it all down, right? So if you have the coach that has that mentality, if you have the older athlete who has that mentality, the trainer, the, you know, whatever, where, where are you where they're like, well, you got to burn it all down and start from scratch because it seems like such a monumental task 
to take on. So how do you approach that? How do you approach people who still have that kind of mentality who are who are in sports? And kind of where do you go from here? Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me. I'm quite outspoken on this subject and sometimes people don't like it, but I am who I am and I've been in this space for five years and I came into this space fiercely on the side of like, athletes can do no wrong and these coaches are horrible to athletes. And I just know, because I know the truth, because I work in this space day in and day out. Coaches bully coaches, athletes bully athletes, board members bully board members, safe sport goes up, down and sideways. The reality is we need to find a way to change and get to solutions without halting. Because I have not seen one national sporting organization, Canada Soccer included, they know it, Rowing Canada who I work with, they know it. They have not worked fast enough or swift enough on safe sport over the last four years. Because what they did was what they were told to do. The reality is what we need to do is what we are told to do by our government and 10 times more. So the, the thing is that we have to get going. We have to start yeah. doing. We cannot afford to stop. And like shared earlier, like parking a bunch of athletes out on a corner while we burn down their organization is not going to help them get on planes to go win World Cups. That's my firm belief is that we can change while we're still mm -hmm. working towards winning. Yeah, yeah, when you talk about that, that's a vicious cycle. Um, my last question is, mm -hmm. where would you like to leave things? Like when you're talking about safe sport, like what is the ultimate goal? Yeah, it's interesting. Five years ago, I thought, well, in five years, people will know what safe sport means. Okay. And then we're there, thankful, thankfully, in a very strange way of some pretty bad things happening. But people know what this is now. The ultimate goal for me or for all of us should be that we can have healthy, happy, respectful, positive training and competitive environments free of maltreatment and abuse. That is going to take upwards of 10 to 15 years to accomplish because we're shifting an entire philosophy around sport in the world. Um, for me, I just want to help to make a difference every day. And that's what I do. I have three kids. Beautiful. I work full time in this space as an entrepreneur. I watch them, you know, play their lacrosse, play their hockey, play their soccer. And I just want to hopefully make impact that'll make it better for them than it was for me. You're a great voice in this space. I've had the pleasure of speaking with you before and having a chance to speak to you again. I mean, honestly, I could listen to you talk all day long. Our show's 30 minutes, that's why. <laughs> but maybe we'll have to check in with you in another yeah. couple months. And I think Canada Soccer was very smart in bringing you on board. And I look forward to great things for yourself and also for this sport that we love yeah. and we cover on a daily basis. So Alison Forsyth taking the chance Thank here you. to join us on One Nation. Hopefully you enjoyed that conversation and you also learned something from it as well. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.